there's a profound sense of loneliness and disconnection. And as we start to start to think about the positives of being able to reconnect, I think we value that face-to-face human connection more than ever before. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to episode 32 of Be More Well. My name is Jeff St. Pierre, and this week we're diving into the world of social connections with Marissa King. Now, if you've listened before, welcome back. Thank you so much for sharing part of your day with us. If this is your first time checking out the show, thank you. Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast that was created after I woke up one morning and just thought, man, I, I don't feel right and I need to make a change. But where do I start? There's just so much information out there, books, YouTube speeches, articles. So I wanted to talk to people about their stories and how they find wellness and mindfulness in their lives. On Be More Well, you can expect to hear conversations with doctors, musicians, athletes, authors, and everyday people that are fighting the fight to become the best possible versions of themselves. My hope here is that you'll find some inspiration from my guests. I know that I do. Don't forget to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're listening on right now. That way you'll be notified about the latest episodes and you can go through some older ones as well. If there's one thing that has definitely changed during the pandemic, it's our relationships and social connections. Studies have found that our networks have been shrinking since the start of the pandemic. Makes sense, right? I mean, we've all been spending more time at our homes, not going to the office at all, or maybe less than usual. No more after work happy hours or meeting up with friends for beers to watch the football game. Those maybe so-so friends or acquaintances, they've kind of fallen off the radar, right? It's not hard to understand why either. I can think of plenty of people in my circle that I haven't spoken with since March. It's not that I don't like them necessarily, but I've used my time holding on to those stronger relationships and making sure that those closer to me are doing well. I've also let go of a lot of those toxic and unhealthy relationships that I didn't need. I mean, think about it. How many people in your life are people that you don't really enjoy, but you kind of have to hang out with them anyway? There's that guy from the office that's in his 40s, but still think he's the president of a fraternity and has a bottle of Fireball in his desk that he always tries to get you to drink from on casual Fridays. Or the woman in HR that always has something to say about the cleanliness of the office refrigerator. These are people that you normally wouldn't really interact with, but you kind of feel compelled to because they're your coworkers, right? Those are just a couple of examples. I'll bet you haven't said a word to them since starting to work from home. But humans are a social species. We need that connection. And how we connect to one another is something that's always kind of intrigued me. In the first chapter of Marissa King's book, Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection, she says that the strength and quality of your social connections and their arrangement profoundly affect your experience of the world, your emotions, and your personal and professional success. Interesting, right? King has spent decades studying human networks, and I'm not just talking about those networking events where you cram into a dark bar and force yourself to have awkward conversations just to get business cards and contacts you hope to use in a future job hunt. We all network in life. Your group of friends, your inner circle, it's all an example of your networking. Now, I wish I had more time with Marissa King because she was really interesting to talk to, and I feel like we kind of just hit our stride when I started to hit my time limit. Maybe I'll be able to convince her to join me again sometime. But before we dive into this conversation, if you enjoy what you hear today, help me spread the word about Be More Well. Rate and review the podcast. That way, I can keep making more episodes for you, and it helps other people discover the show as well. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. You can message me there if you have any questions or topic ideas for future episodes. I love to hear from you guys on what you're looking to hear more about. And now here's my conversation with Marissa King. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. 
it's nice to talk with you. Nice to talk to you too. What is in the water over there at Yale? I've got you putting this book out. I've fallen in love with Dr. Lori Santos and her work over the last couple of years. What's going on over there in Connecticut? Oh, she's fantastic. Uh, we're trying to create lots of positive social connection. I, I love it. I, I love that there seems to be an emphasis on trying to figure out the best ways to get people to connect from your work. I know Lori's working on happiness and trying to figure out the best ways to keep people happy. I love that people are really putting an emphasis on figuring out these things now. Yeah, I think we need it more than ever. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I know with your book that just came out, Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection, you had most of this written before the pandemic started, correct? Yeah, the book was fully submitted and completely written before the pandemic. Um, and I think the benefit, though, of having it come out now really is just how much we all need it. That there's a profound sense of loneliness and disconnection. And as we start to start to think about the positives of being able to reconnect, I think we value that face-to-face -face human connection more than ever before. So hopefully the timing in some ways is beneficial. Yeah, almost in a way. it's an entirely different world. Yeah, it's almost fortuitous in a way that it was done beforehand. But is there a piece of you that's like, man, I really wish I could have studied some of this? I, there is. And one of the biggest things I have found as I've been studying what's happened during the pandemic is that our networks have actually shrunk. And so if we look at what's happened over the pandemic, the outer ring of our acquaintance network has shrunk by close to 17%. But what's interesting is that that shrinkage isn't true across the board. So the vast majority of that reduction is due to the men's networks becoming smaller. So they've shrunk by close to 30%, but women's networks have hardly shrunk at all. And so I think that that's really important one to recognize, but it also sends a bigger message that it's not so much how much time we're spending on our networks and our relationships, but it's how we're spending that time that's so important. And so that's the one piece, the post script that I wish that I could add to the book, because I think it has profound implications, not just for understanding what happened during the pandemic, but also what we should be doing moving forward. Well, Marissa, there's a couple of things that you just mentioned that I want to unpack a little bit. But before we do that, why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into this research and what you're working on? I came to this because I was at a point in my professional career was I was being told I need a network, you need to meet new people. But everything I knew from as a networks researcher was that advice was really misguided, that it, it's not the number of people, the quality and the structure of our social connections that are so important. And what I hope to do in the book is to bring what we know from science into people's lives to allow them to build their networks and strengthen their own networks in a way that's more helpful. You talked about how our networks have shrunk since the beginning of the pandemic. And I have to wonder, is it all positive shrinking or is it all negative? Is it a mixture? Because I look at myself, for example, I've been working from home since the start of the pandemic. And, and I can say my network has certainly shrunk, but I think I've made a conscious effort to maybe get rid of some of the negativity from my network that I was holding on to just because I felt like I had to have it. Oh, you really nailed it, Jeff. And I think that there's trade-offs, right? If we think about our relationships in general, our networks, there's necessarily a trade-off in how we're spending our time. So we can essentially spend our time maintaining weaker relationships that may not be giving us much social support, but they have other benefits, or we can spend our time focusing on building deeper relationships and closer connections, but necessarily with a smaller set of people. And when, while we think what has happened to induce this shrinkage is that it's this acquaintances, this outer layer of people we don't frequently see that is shrunk, 
But the benefit is that we've actually strengthened our connections with the people that we're closest to. And that really adapted. We see that in other crises. So after Hurricane Katrina, for instance, a similar thing happened, that people turn to their innermost ties to provide support. And that's really beneficial from an emotional and social standpoint. The downside is that it just reduces the amount of information that we have coming at us. So it's really about what's most important to you. And I think for most people during this time, we need emotional and social support more than ever before. So it's really actually an adaptive change. We just have to be aware of the longer term consequences. Yeah, I know in your book, you talk about work relationships too and work networks. And I know for me, a lot of my network where it shrunk has been from the work aspect. And you talk about what was the phrase you used? I wrote it down here. Oh, uh, I lost it. Toxic collaborators is something. And I know in my office, toxic collaborators are something that really exists very heavily. And in our current environment, you don't hear those voices quite as much. So it's it's actually been a little bit of a relief in a way. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, how the work relationships have changed. Yeah. And particularly, I think with these, what we I think of as negative ties or toxic relationships, they actually are a very small part of our network. So between five and 10% of our ties are, can be considered negative ties or things that we find de-energizing or actually in anxiety inducing. But even though it's a small, small number of people, usually we give disproportionate attention mm-hmm. To that part of our network. So, and it's partially psychologically adaptive. We focus on the things that are threatening and disturbing, right? That's how we keep ourselves safe, but we spend so much time and energy on how are we going to deal with so-and-so at the office who is repeatedly getting a jerk at a meeting. And we don't, it's hard, particularly in the workplace, we rarely have the opportunity of just cutting them out, right? So with friends and with friends, you can sort of weaken those ties. Although we also don't do it in our friendships. We tend to hang on to relationships in general for far, far too long, even when they're no longer a service. But at work, it's really hard. And I think that that's actually been one of the upsides of the pandemic is it's easier to avoid people that you wouldn't normally be able to avoid at the office. <laughs> I don't want to talk about all about avoiding here. Uh, it just seems <laughs> to have gone that way. But you know, I, I know we've talked a little bit about work and how we've been isolated from the pandemic. But I would imagine 2020 also brought an aspect of network shrinking or maybe even growing from political reasons too, because that has been such a hot button topic this year too. Yeah. So when we think about our networks, there are a couple different network types, but what's happened during the pandemic is as we focus on this inner core, that inner core tends to be quite connected. So your closest friends are oftentimes close friends with one another. So this is just one of these rules of how network science works. But within those convening type dense networks, people tend to be quite similar to at the outset, right? So they tend to have similar ideas. They tend to be a similar background. And then you put them in conversation only with one another and those ideas get amplified. And so what that means is that we're essentially more polarized because those ideas within groups have become heightened and there's more attention put towards them, but there's less conversation happening between people who normally wouldn't talk together. And that lack of interaction among people who didn't, wouldn't normally talk together has exacerbated divisions and polarization that existed before. And then you put on top of that, right, just all the changes in society. And we're in a really intense time right now. And I'm hoping that once we can actually be together face-to-face, what we know is that in-person interactions or even hearing voice really dampens disagreement because it increases empathy. So hopefully once we can actually start to reconnect, some of that polarization will start to heal itself. That's interesting. You know, I hadn't really thought much about that, that 
the fact that we are so isolated right now could be amplifying some of this anger and dissent that we have because someone's much more likely to leave a really nasty comment if they're typing from their computer in their you know living room as opposed to if they are sitting next to me at a bar having a beer. Exactly. And we're all living in echo chambers. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that is definitely for sure. <laughs> this world that we're in right now. Uh, I do want to talk about the importance of our your, our networking, of that social circle that we have, and, and why it is kind of detrimental in a way that our, that our networks have shrunk a little bit during this time. The biggest downside to this network shrink is, is it really cuts us off from new information. So that partially also reduces our ability to connect with people we normally wouldn't speak to. But for instance, if you are searching for a job and there's such an issue with unemployment right now, most people find their jobs through these acquaintances. It's not close friends. It's the outer reaches of their networks where new information is coming from. So jobs found through acquaintances are found faster. They're higher paying. They're a better fit. So for people who are isolated and then you add on top of that for instance unemployment it's making it our social networks are actually impeding our ability to find new work so for instance so many women have left the workforce or been forced out of the workforce right now that this is going to be a major issue that we're all going to have to confront going forward so that inability to access new information whether it's with respect to a new job or just thinking about creativity or innovation or the arts that's what the consequences of that network shrinkage there's so much interesting stuff to learn about how we do network and how we do connect. And that's why I love your book because there's, it's just taking me into a world that I'm not super familiar with. I've never been a great networker. I kind of keep my good friends close and that's it. Like I, in my job, I work in the radio industry and I can't tell you how many times I've gone somewhere and they're like, do you know Jimmy John from Wisconsin? I'm like, I don't, I have no idea who you're talking about, but everybody knows this person. And I'm just, I don't know why my brain just doesn't hold on to those names and those locations the way other people do. But I've been fascinated why some people are so much better at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's interesting to me because I feel like oftentimes that there's a misconception that like some people are natural networkers and some people aren't. Some people got the playbook and some people didn't. But what we know is that all of social interaction is really a learned skill. So many of the things that oftentimes are an impediment to social interaction, most of the time it's either a, it's a lack of confidence. So starting to understand like here are some basic principles of social how social interaction works, right? Like so if you walk into an awkward um, cocktail party. If you're like me, I'm the same way, right? So if you're like me, I like want to just either run out or I'll just like try to head for the safety of the bar. But if you start to just think about it from a network perspective, people actually don't form just walls of people, which is what I see, but they tend to form small groups or clusters. And then if you're trying to fit like, where do I go next? Look for an odd number group. We tend to actually look for someone we already know, right? That's the default. But in an odd number group, because we have two eyes and we have two ears, we tend to focus in on a single person and a single voice. This is known as the cocktail party effect. So if you can just find an odd number group, you're providing a conversational partner to someone who's already feeling left out. So what I hope to, I try to do in the book is to show like, by understanding really basic structures of human interaction that you can become easier and more comfortable 
and those types of right networking events. But also what you said is really important to recognize that certain people are predisposed to building certain types of networks. So when you're talking about your close friends, in my mind, I think, oh, you're a convener, right? And there's lots of reasons that people end up in that way. Sometimes it's they've lived in a long place for a long period of time. Conveners also, for instance, tend to not like change or uh, uncertainty. They don't like plans to change at the last minute. So they're both predispositions to this, but it's also a result of where we've spent our time and how we live our lives. And if, one of the things to realize is if that serves you, there's no need to change it. You don't need to get be at the networking event meeting new people. You can if you want to, and the book can help you figure out how to do that. But the way you structure your relationships has a lot of benefits. And what I hope to show are what are the different benefits of different ways of thinking about how we structure our networks and live our social lives. I do want to talk about conveners because that goes into uh, three examples uh, or groups that you kind of talk about in the book. But before I get into that, I, I did hear you talk about once that extroverts don't necessarily have stronger networks. And I think that ties into what we were just talking about. Just because someone is maybe louder or really good in a social setting doesn't necessarily mean their network is stronger than yours. Yeah, it's one of the biggest misconceptions. If you ask someone what determines what their network looks like, the vast majority of people will guess it's extroversion versus introversion. But what's far more important is where you spend your time. So literally the space that you're in and how you allocate your time that you are devoting to relationships, that has a far more important impact. And it's often choices we make unconsciously. For instance, do I live on a cul-de-sac or do I live on a screw street, right? That, that decision's made really unconsciously, but it has a profound impact on our network fingerprint far more than personality. So really our networks are the creation of the choices we make on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not something we're either born with or that it, that is fixed. It also changes throughout the course of our lives and we can change it. So going back to conveners that you mentioned, uh, you kind of have in the book, you have three basic categories that you lay things out. You've got expansionists, brokers, and conveners. Can you talk a little bit more about these? Sure. So we talked a little bit about conveners. Conveners, friends tend to be friends with one another. They tend to invest more in a smaller subset of relationships. They're deeper ties. And the benefits of that is that they have a lot of emotional support, a lot of trust. There's strong reputational benefits. Conveners know who has their back. Um, and that has a, a lot of benefits personally in terms of mental health and well-being, but also professionally in terms of a trust and buy-in. The second type are brokers, and brokers, in contrast to conveners, tend to straddle social worlds that normally wouldn't come together. They may, for instance, at the office, be the person who connects engineering and marketing. And by bringing together groups that normally wouldn't talk together, they tend to be more innovative and creative. People often end up as brokers by having unusual career paths. Um, the biggest personality characteristic that actually predicts what someone's network looks like is called something called high self-monitoring, not um, introversion, extroversion. And that's really just how chameleon-like are you? Mm. So if you can make impromptu speeches about something you know nothing about, um, you probably are a high self-monitor and likely a broker. And that ability to bring people together has huge benefits, not just for the broker, but for the organizations that they exist in. And then finally, expansionists are your quintessential networker. They have extraordinarily large networks. You can figure out if you're an expansionist by asking how many people do you know named Adam or how many people do you know named Emily? If it's more than one of both of those, you're likely an expansionist. So your network is around a thousand people or more. 
And expansionists, because they know a lot of people, they have a lot of influence. They have the possibility for creating social change and changing minds. And so the key is that there's not one best or right type of network, but they all have trade-offs and benefits and that we can change our network over time to help meet our needs at any given moment. I have a friend, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. I have a friend that I've always called a collector uh, because she needs to have, needs to be friends with everybody, needs to be known in every circle. But I wouldn't really say that any of those connections are super strong. I mean, some are, but not many of them are super strong connections. It's just, oh yeah, we know that person or we'll see that person out and there's, there is a connection. So would you put her in maybe the expansionist category, do you think? It sounds like it. Yeah. And it, what the tip off was really is that those connections aren't that strong. And so expansions know a lot of people, but because they know so many people, they can't know them all well. There's just simply, we all have a fixed amount of time in the day. And so that notion of that I know a lot of people, but I don't know them very well, that that's one of the signatures of an expansionist. There's a great line that Jimmy Kimmel used many years ago when Facebook was starting to take off, and he was talking about uh, pe- you know, the joke about how many friends you have in real life, right? And he goes, I'll tell you, you don't have a thousand friends on Facebook. I'll tell you how many friends you have. Post on there, you need help moving. That's when you'll find out how many friends you have on Facebook. And I thought that was such an interesting line, and it really does say something about our networks and our social connection with people, that you can be connected with all these people, but really have absolutely no connection with them at all. It's true. I mean, everyone hates moving, but there's also another grain of truth in what you just said in the sense of asking for help. And asking for help is arguably one of the strongest hallmarks of social connection. And it's also one of the easiest ways to strengthen social connection. I wouldn't maybe do it for asking for help moving, but in most things, right? Asking for help from someone gives them the opportunity to be of service. And it often gives a sense of mastery and purpose. And I think particularly in this moment, it's something we're all struggling so much with. So asking for help is arguably one of the most powerful ways, particularly in this moment, that you can strengthen your social connection. So there's a lot of truth to what Jimmy Kimmel said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Marissa King, the book is called Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection. I know we're running out of time here, but I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can go to find more information about you or this work. You can connect with me through my website, socialchemistry.com. I love the way that you say connect with me. That's perfect. Uh, Marissa, this is really great. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to chat with me. I wish we had more time uh, to talk. I know you're on a strict schedule today, but really great stuff. And I can't wait to get even further uh, through this book than I already have. Thank you for doing all this work. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Big thank you to Marissa King. Her book, Social Chemistry, Decoding the Patterns of Human Connection, is available now, and it is super interesting. I think you'll really enjoy this. Don't forget, if you liked this episode, please rate and review the podcast, and please subscribe to Be More Well so you will be notified of future episodes and updates as they come out. Thank you, as always, for listening and sharing part of your day with me, and I'll catch you guys next week.